And so like, remember that feeling. But I think like more is not more. And I think it's really hard as parents now to fight against this like more, 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 which is not necessarily more like money, even though you're spending money on sports, it's like more time. And everything seems fun. And it's funny because I think we all do this. Like we do a lot more scheduling of fun stuff for our kids than we do for ourselves. Like what if you had two activities every week? Like that would feel a lot for your household, I imagine, because I know that would be a lot for many of my friends' households. But for kids, you have no question about that. And then it's also just the stress that I think people know. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast. We have a really exciting guest. It is Kate Anderson, the Chief of Staff at Motherly. Kate is a leader in generating change and gender equality within the startup space. As a Chief of Staff at Motherly, a well-being destination empowering mothers to thrive with expert content, innovation, product solutions, and supportive community, Motherly engages an audience of 40 million plus readers and viewers a month with on-demand parent education classes, Webby Award-winning videos, the Motherly Podcast, essays and articles, and a highly engaged social media community. As co-founder and VP of operations of iFundWomen, she has driven millions of dollars into the hands of female founders. iFundWomen's flexible crowdfunding platform combines a pay-it-forward model, expert startup coaching, professional video production, and a private community for its entrepreneurs all with the goal of helping female entrepreneurs launch successful businesses. Prior to launching iFundWomen, Kate spent four years at Heinz Interests, one of the largest and most respected real estate organizations in the world with more than $116 billion under management. Kate earned her BA from Colgate University and received a Master's of Professional Studies from Georgetown University. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome today. Hello. Nice to Hi, see so you. Hi. So happy to be Yes. Thank you for coming, Kate. This has this conversation has been a while in the making. I'm excited to finally have it and to kind of get mother your opinion and motherly thoughts on kind of the state of motherhood these days. So let's start off with um, Peaches and Pits. Angie, you want to go first? Yeah. So this morning, my Peach, I had a doctor's appointment post I am um, nine months post surgery on my neck. Um, and my follow-up went really great and I have one more follow-up in a year. And if everything's good, then I am, I'm cleared for having a brand new titanium neck. (laughs) That's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Always like to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my pits is that my sister's in town. My sister, um, commutes via airplane. Um, she's a nurse, but she lives here and then works block scheduling in California. And so it's always nice when she's in town for her eight day stretch, but she's sick this time. So we just can't spend as much time with her. So we don't spread the ick. That's a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kate, what about you? You have peaches or pits today? Yeah, my peach was I took my kids to see Frozen on Broadway in Boston. We're based in Boston last night, which was so fun. It was an awesome show. So many kids were there. It was just like such a joy Mm -hmm. to take them. And they were so mesmerized by all of it. And the special effects were so good. And it 
really was just like a complete joy. Um, and my pits are, it has just been like cold and rainy the last two days in Boston. So that's no, no fun, but it'll be nice tomorrow for think, or for Halloween. So I'm excited for that. Oh, good. <laughs> that is really good. Um, I will say my pit is the opposite of your Halloween experience. It is supposed to be very, very cold here in Nebraska oh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I think like a high of 32. Oh. So by trick-or-treating, you know, it's going to be probably below 30. Um, so a lot of costumes with jackets over them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm a fun hater. I don't let my kids buy costumes that we can't put warm gear underneath specifically for this reason. That's so funny. my girls never get to be princessy anything. Um because I'm not going to pay $45 to yeah. put a winter coat over that. So <laughs> I'm real popular in the Halloween aisle <laughs> when we pick out costumes. Um, so that's my pit. My pit is that we just went from like, you know, kind of almost summery weather to straight winter. There was not yeah. a lot <laughs> in between. But my peach is that we took our oldest, Hudson, we took him to his first Husker football game yesterday mm-hmm. um, or on Saturday. And, um, you know, despite the fact that it was freezing cold, it was so cold in the stadium, um, it, was st- it was still really fun. Like we got to go down and we got to see like the parade into the stadium and like he got to like be down in the tunnel for tunnel walk and like high five the player, you know, it was just a cool experience for, you know, a nine-year-old aspiring football player to be able to do. And he hung in, like we made it to the middle of the third quarter before he got too cold to stay. So I I was like, you know, I can be happy with this. Yeah. That's That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so partner praise, Angie, what do you have this week? I have that Jesse did all the meals this weekend. I didn't, I literally didn't have to think about it. Nice. He just he just fed the family for 48 hours without me even thinking about it. So <laughs> I mine is mine is similar. A funny like synergy this um week Eric like planned a bunch of meals. I, he like quizzed me on what I thought he was making. I don't know. He found like all these new recipes he's very excited about. Good for him. That feels very ambitious. Um, and he was like quizzing me as he took ingredients out of the grocery bags about what I thought it would be. I'm still, some of it's still a mystery, but whatever. He has like plans and I, I'm going to take that. That is a win. I appreciate nice. you thinking of some adventurous meals in a week. I love that. Um, mine was, I was in New York last week for a conference. So my husband was kind of the point person at home for a few days, which is we do a good job of sharing things. So it's not like a big challenge to have that, but it's also always easy. I think when you go away and someone's like, have fun. And that's all you hear from them. <laughs> I forgot. I called him at one point. I was like, did I tell you all of this stuff or not? He's like, no, I've been talking to you, which is, that's our normal, like, go to if we're both if we're like busy and I kind of like that that you're like oh and then you're so happy to come back that's awesome that is really awesome I always appreciate those moments too um so spitfire shenanigans I know last week we kind of we talked about how 
we came over to hang out and like Fiona answered the door. Fiona is Angie, one of Angie's middle daughters and my daughter, Nora, just like, she's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. She's just like, I'm here. And she, you know, like Fiona didn't know we were coming over. So she was like, I don't, I don't think I should let you in, but Nora didn't care. Um, and then this weekend when you guys took the girls to the birthday party for us and uh, Eric texted me after he dropped off Nora and he goes, uh, she just walked in without even knocking. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. She just lets herself into their house now. And I was like, yep, that is that seems like an appropriate escalation from the week before, which was you answered the door and you're not sure if I should come in to I will not I'm just let myself in. We will solve this problem. Yeah. yeah, and we'll solve the issue of should I or shouldn't I be here by me just saying yes. I yes, I belong here. supposed to be here. Yeah. Eric was mortified. I laughed. Oh, meh. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Caroline only just doesn't do the same because of Gunner. Yes, as your I dog. Know. But yeah, that's what I told Eric. I was like, um, we ha- would have kids who'd let themselves into our house if we didn't have a dog that they were like nervous about. But yeah, everybody knows they have to knock. So, <laughs> um, Kate, do you have a story about your kids you'd like to share? Oh. Uh- well, when we went to Frozen last night, my daughter, at one point, Olaf said something like, I don't have a skull. And my daughter, Audrey, who's five, turned and looked at me and said so loud, like, we don't need to know that. Why the heck is he telling us that? <laughs> Which I kind of appreciated. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm not sure why you're sharing that information. Yeah. <laughs> seems irrelevant to what we're doing here today. That's funny. How old is she? She's five. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's that pretty. Tracks. Yeah. Nora, Nora yeah. and Caroline just turned seven slash about to turn seven. So. Got it. Yeah. That's sounds pretty, pretty accurate. So, all right. Today we have Kate from Motherly here to chat with us. And you all publish a state of motherhood report every year, which um, I have been using in our research for this podcast since its inception. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to talk about the report itself and kind of go through it. But um, can you kind of give an overview of like, what it is and what the goal um, of Motherly is by researching this and kind of publishing this really like in-depth report on motherhood? Yeah. Uh, We launched our, we wanted to do a state of motherhood report to understand what is working for mothers in America, what's not working, how can we support and help them. One of our core values at Motherly is that we take motherhood seriously. And one of the ways you take anything seriously is you use data to tell people what's working and what's not working and how things can be successful and not successful. So we launched our first report in 2018 and we've been doing them annually since then. We always launch around Mother's Day. Um, And it's the largest statistically significant survey on motherhood in America. It has been a real um act of love from every member of our team uh it it touches everybody on our team cross-functionally and it really allows us to stand tall in the space of motherhood Mm -hmm. and be able to 
ask questions about motherhood that that many people who many survey takers say like no one's ever asked me this stuff and when you put it all into one cohesive survey i think it's showing people like wow you know to the name of your podcast it is a tremendous amount of mental load around motherhood there are a lot of different components around motherhood we try to we try to um bunch the questions together so we'll have questions on um health and wellness we'll have questions on um safety we'll have questions on technology we'll have questions on relationships and education and there's a lot and finances um of different categories that motherhood touches and i think so many often motherhood can be seen as like niche or funny or a butt of jokes or not taken seriously and we know it's a big important job it's critically important to the success of um children it's critically important to society to have strong educated committed mothers and we're really trying to shine a bright light on it and while we oftentimes have data that's alarming or negative we we do try to shine a light on what are the positive things what is working in motherhood yeah i think my favorite part about the survey itself is how you weight the data to have like a very clear representation yes. of mothers like just in the united states i think that that's that's a really really smart way to go about the data to make sure that everybody's um opinion and situation is shown exactly and we don't we don't want um it to just be covering certain representations of motherhood so we we partner with people to help us share the survey out as well we realize that that's the best way to get the survey in front of more people um is to make sure that it's not just motherly's audience which is large and robust and diverse but that it's other brands as well to make mm-hmm. sure that um we're hearing from as many moms as possible Yeah, I think that's what is like Andrew said is really so exciting about it and what's been so helpful just in terms of kind of framing up this conversation because like you said moms it, I think about this often and sometimes I think, you know, did we do this to ourselves or did it just kind of get exacerbated by social media where we kind of create this like trope of like the different types of moms that, you know, there's like the hot mess mom and there's like the super pulled together. And it's sort of like that levity is necessary, but I think sometimes it kind of detracts from these really important, impactful, real issues that are impacting not just moms, but families mm-hmm. all together. And so um, I think what is going to be really kind of interesting about this conversation is there – I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by – some of the findings. I know when I went through it, I was like, oh yeah, check, check. Like I felt so validated kind of going through it. Um, But I think the most, I think where people are going to be really interested is that there's also some very like tangible things we can do now. You know, not every issue is something that takes years of change and is it, you know, it's not all policy and things like Mm -hmm. that. There are some like very, I think, tangible bits in there that you can take to your partner in your household and say like, this is what I'm talking about. Like it's not, and it's not just me. Here are the, you know, like 
here's a gigantic you know, survey that kind of shows that this is not something that I'm just making up or – you know, it's not unique to our relationship. This is something that's just being felt on on a whole level. So yeah, I think that's exactly part of our goal too, is for people to be able to go to their partner and say, this is not working. These, This is what other situations are. And a lot of change in equity happens in the house. If you have a household that is inequitable, it's going to filter into every other aspect of your life. So if you are like 70% of households where you have two working parents Mm -hmm. and you have zero support from your spouse at home, you're going to be annoyed that your employer is not giving you more support. Like there's no employer that's going to compensate for a lack of um, equity at home. Um, And nor should they truly like it's, it's, they, I think people have to be approaching this in many different aspects. And unfortunately I think what we realize is like the government is not, helping us in real structural ways. There's really zero help from zero to five until kids start public elementary school. Mm-hmm. And then there, many public elementary schools end at like 2.30 or 3, and very few work days end. Even if you are a teacher at said elementary school, you're not clocking out at the same time that your child is being dismissed. Um, so I think that the change first and foremost has to happen at home. And then I think when you have those conversations about where you need help and support and who's taking sick days and how are you splitting up the responsibilities and very few households is at 50%. I don't think that's a norm for many people. However, it's figuring out like what is the ratio that works for your family so that when you show up at work, if you are working outside of the house, you're able to then say, you know, this is what I'm doing at home. And then this is what, um, this is where I need help in the workplace to be successful. And I think that that feels like a more productive conversation to have with employers than, for example, you know, I'm not making any of these changes at home and I need you to bridge that gap. And and all of these conversations are hard conversations to have, Mm -hmm. but they're easier than living a a less sustainable setup. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a great perspective on it to kind of bridge between hey, I'm I'm doing my part, now can you do your part and can we mm-hmm. collectively as a whole be working together? So, I know that one of the like main findings, so there was a handful, there's five in total, and the first one is that the great resignation for moms is still a thing and it's still, you know, um, can you kind of give a high level summary of essentially like what the study found around the great resignation and then kind of what, um, you know, what's going on in our current event world that is kind of in contradiction to it. So we had nearly two X more women become stay at home moms in 2023 than in 2022. You can surmise a lot of different things about that. But one of the um, one of our thoughts in that was that um, people were returning to the office. That it was while COVID and the pandemic had significant challenges for working parents and for mothers specifically, it did crack open this remote work life that I think that has really worked for for working parents, especially working mothers. 
but many offices were going back in 2022 or in 2023. So that was really not sustainable because while people were returning to work or offices were opening up, many schools were still having restrictions for COVID. We're still having that if your child had COVID, they were out for a significant period of time. And the two don't really equate. There's not, if you have, if your child care is sending your kids to school and they're out of school for 10 days, that's not really working for households. Uh, additionally, 52% of working mothers said the cost of childcare made them consider leaving the workforce. Mm -hmm. There were real childcare shortages in um, this past year. I think we all know about the childcare cliff, which happened at the end of September. Um, that's not reflected in our data, but it surely will be reflected in our mm -hmm. next survey. But the fact of the matter is we don't have adequate childcare in this country for zero to five. There's no state-manded childcare facilities that are really working for parents. Childcare workers are not paid enough. The cost of childcare is too expensive. There are a lot of lawmakers working to make this happen. And I was actually, I was at a conference in New York last week called the um, uh, Mother Honestly Work-Life Summit. And one of the things that um, a woman was speaking about, one of the speakers was that childcare is a, is a um, it's not a democratic, it's not a Republican issue. Mm -hmm. People, citizens on both sides want child care. They want the government to help with child care. They want, um, they want options before kids turn five. It's when it gets to a lawmaker level that it gets all convoluted of how to do that. And I think there are places to do that. Um, Boston, where we live, for example, has universal pre-K. So kids start school at four instead of five. Uh, that's for 70% of kids in Boston will go to an elementary school. They also open up their starting universal 3K. We have a new mayor in Boston, Michelle Wu, who is a mother of elementary school kids. So that's uh, a pretty big deal here. But they launch universal 3K. And what they're doing that I think is really remarkable is they're tying in um, uh they're creating slots in already existing facilities. So like Head Starts, YMCAs that already have um, facilities, community centers. So instead of saying we need to create, you know, 50,000 new childcare centers, they exist. They're just now providing additional funding and resources to them. And I think solutions like that are really what we need to be doing to help bridge this gap because we're losing mothers in the workforce from the, from the lack of paid family leave to then the unsustainability of you're saying like, how can I figure out childcare from zero to five? It's a lot. And even, you know, when your kids are five, it sounds like you have kids the same age as mine. All three of my kids are in elementary school, but elementary school does not like go the work day. And I think that to me is ridiculous as well. I studied abroad in Spain and in Spain, the, Kids went to school for what the workday was. They lined up with each other because that makes sense. And the kids were not in class all the time. They got their homework done there. They had lots of, they had after school activities there. So it wasn't this shuffle that I know from myself and many of my friends that you pick, you're working, you pick yourself kids up from school or they're in after school. And then you're doing like the after school shuffle, trying to get homework done, trying to get dinner made. Like there's something really nice about picking your kids up and then 
it's just family time and there's no mm-hmm. shuffling around. Yeah, there was a recent manufacturing plant here. I believe that they're based in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, but they are providing on-site childcare for their mm-hmm. laborers, which it was just such a cool story to see um, it being done in a non-corporate setting as well. Yeah. Having a manufacturer plant where it's entry-level positions and these people who economically are at a disadvantage getting that on-site benefit that they so desperately need. Wouldn't it be so great if you said, I refuse to leave my job because the childcare benefits are so good that there's no other option. And then you stay there. Like that would be awesome. That would be great. You know, obviously it'd be great if people are just like, I love my job, but I think that that's really compelling. And I also know that there are a lot of places, um, I wonder if Nebraska is one where it's a childcare desert where there's just not as many options and babysitting or nannies are not as readily available. Any place where you have further distances to drive is going to limit. And Lincoln's obviously a populated place, but I know like in Western Nebraska, Mm -hmm. it's really not that populated. So I think what you have is a lot of people like being limited in their options of what they can do. And we live in a place time technologically where if the internet can reach a location, then you should be able to work from that location. And we can move away from like big cities as urban centers and create other urban centers for people. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's interesting. My, I, I went to brunch yesterday with my aunt who just retired from teaching and we were just kind of having a conversation and I told her, I said, you know, I, would never go to a company that required me to be in the office. Even hybrid for me would be a str- – I'm fully remote now um, and I have been for several, for a few years. And and she was like, really? That is – that's like so fascinating. And I and, – and this kind of – this exact conversation was my point. I was like, why – why would I spend all of that time commuting? Why would I have to add an additional expense to put my kids yeah. into into before school care? Because now I have to be to an office before they have to be to school. So I need somebody else to probably feed them and get them ready and take them to school for me. Um, and I've got to figure out after – I mean, you know, right now they still go to after school care. And that's a, that's a nice to have on our part. But then it becomes a necessity. And so if that's not an option one day, you know, I was like, no way. Like, I I was like, I'm struggling to come up with a number of what you could pay me to go back to an office full time with like super limited childcare benefits because it just doesn't work. It's not sustainable for our family. Yeah. Same. I, I mean, for a lot of, yeah. Oh, go on. Um, my husband works from home full time and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without that if he were to be called back into the office, which at this point he wouldn't, um, unless he changed jobs, it would be, it would be a very large conversation on what the, what the hell are we supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting because as I was sort of reading through this and, um, for the sake of the conversation, I want to keep moving, but I, I also have to um, Angie and I just had this conversation in our last recording where we were talking about what other countries are doing that get it right. And obviously like early childhood care is one of them. And um, it feels like, and I'm curious if 
you know, your motherly kind of has information or thoughts around why this is because it seems like when all of the data points to making sense to support families and early childhood care, how we still kind of as a society fail to get there. It feels like it just becomes this, like like you said, political bargaining chip at the lawmaker level when it's really one of the very few nonpartisan issues of this country. Yeah. It's really quite alarming. And I'm not quite sure why exactly it is that we don't have the benefits. But really, if you think about it, like people are having, what, like 2.7 kids. So let's say let's increase that to three kids. Let's say you gave somebody a year maternity leave for each kid. It's three years. Mm -hmm. Think about the how long careers are. 50 years, if you can keep people in the workforce. And I think that we're always mindful at Motherly that just because women are leaving the workforce is not a bad thing. If women are leaving the workforce and they are saying, I love staying home with my kids. I love being able to contribute to my community. This gives me tremendous pleasure. This is valuable. That's great. We're all for that. But if they're leaving the workforce because it's not sustainable for them because they can't figure out childcare, Mm -hmm. because a bunch of can'ts, that they cannot figure out how to make it work, that's not sustainable. And my husband and I lived in Sweden, um, and I volunteered at a childcare facility there. We spent a lot of time talking to people about the setup, and it was just so reasonable. Like they all parents get a year paid leave. And then all kids go to a state-run childcare facility that is lovely with delicious home-cooked meals that they all eat, that parents are not making. Um, And I think that they solve that problem of where are your kids going Mm -hmm. by creating it. It's like you're going to the nursery, and the nursery is like the town nursery. What they don't have is tons of options, but honestly, I think – you know, for a podcast called The Mental Load, too many options is not a good thing. That if you just say, this is where your kid is going to nursery because everybody goes there, great. And then it just like eliminates those questions. And I think that other countries must look at us sometimes and say like, what the heck is happening? Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. So kind of on the a slightly different, um, on a more personal front than The Great Resignation, the uh, the second finding in the survey was that self-care looks a lot different for moms, um, which we also just recorded an episode <laughs> about this, ironically, too. Um, in, essentially, it's that moms are prioritizing sleep over sex and friends. Yeah. What is What were kind of like the key findings and takeaways within that, that – you know, maybe we're surprising or not so surprising. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, moms are tired. They're exhausted. And so they're not prioritizing these things. I think that this is, I, I mean, this is not a thought unique to me, but we are in a major epidemic of people not having enough sex and not seeing their friends enough and creating those connections Creating physical connections with your partner are important. That is the like one reason to be married, right? Is to be connected in that way, in a romantic way. Um, it feels good, makes you feel better. It's fun. It's like checks all of those boxes. Then on the on the same friends, like that's an important thing to do. Kids are successful when they feel like they're part of communities 
and the community has like deep kind of um, tethers in many different areas. And I think that that while this self-care feels good for moms now, and sometimes, you know, sometimes like we always say this, that it's like a rainy weekend, that that's nice. Like it's nice to do nothing. It's nice when sports are canceled. It's nice when you can just stay home. That's great. But I think as a long-term strategy, the best societies and the happiest people are people that feel like they have deep connections, not just with their own family, but with other people. Because then I think when things aren't working at home, they feel like I've got nowhere else to go. And that's so critically important to have other places that you feel a part of. Hey, it's Caitlin here to talk to you about some of me and Angie's favorite supporters of the show. We don't have sponsors, but we've got an amazing group of people who've been great support systems for us on this podcasting journey. One of my favorite things about being married to my husband is actually his amazing group of cousins. Jen Zamzow is one of them, and she is one of the smartest women I've met. She's an adjunct professor of healthcare ethics at the Concordia University, Irvine, and a freelance writer for publications like Psychology Today and The Washington Post, writing about health, well-being, and, you guessed it, motherhood. She has a newsletter on Substack that you can subscribe to via the link in the show notes called A Well-Lived Life. Check it out. You won't regret signing up. Let's talk about fitness. Last November, I started working with Marcus at Thriving Lives Fitness. After three kids, I just kind of wanted my clothes to fit better and to feel confident in my own skin. What I love about working with Marcus is not only can he work with you from anywhere, but he also treats me as a whole person. He doesn't just give me meal plans and workouts to follow each week. He asks about things like my stress, digestion, and sleep, all things that impact my fitness. Yes, my clothes fit better because I've lost weight, but more importantly, I feel like I've created a healthy lifestyle that can support me and my family long-term. I do earn an affiliate commission when you sign up with Marcus, but I only recommend the products I love. In fact, most of our ads are shout outs to places we simply just love. So when we take an affiliate partner, you know it's a big deal. Last but not least, I can't not mention my friend and former guest and mindset coach, Melissa Bloom. If you're looking to reframe your thoughts and see the world through a new lens, Melissa is the perfect guide for your journey. It is not an understatement to say that she does life-changing work. She's done it alongside me for the past year, and it's been one of the best investments I've made. Find her at melissabloom.life and all things Path to Joy. Now, back to the show. I think for me, this one in particular kind of resonated very closely in terms of like what we tend to talk about in regards to the mental load where um, when it comes to like spending time with your partner and having that connection, whether it's physical or it's not, just having time where it's just you and your partner um, – you know, like we consistently are kind of having this conversation where it's like, how can we have more of just that time in whatever capacity we want to spend it? How do we have more of that time alone? And for me, it always consistently comes back to 
you know, take something off of my plate completely from start to finish in like a calm and collected manner. It's not, it is not relaxing to me to like listen to my husband yell at our kids to like get chores done. That's not, that's not relaxing. It's not, it's, you know, the chores might get done and I might have more time at the end of the night, but then I am just like too overstimulated to even be like, I can't, I don't even want to be in the same room right now. Like now I just need quiet time by myself, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that that is, you know, that's kind of like one, one sticking point but then kind of on the flip side, I actually find myself in this like season of life and and Angie, I know I've said this before in our conversations. I feel like maybe as like a I would not consider myself a new mom, <laughs> you know, my oldest is almost 10 years old. So I feel like at this point I I have been through the desert of no friendships or like, you know, yeah. low friendships. And so now to me that is like something that is really incredibly important to me. And I am, you know, like I will consistently seek out that time versus saying like, oh, never mind. You know, like I I need to get to I need to get to bed. I I've been known to sacrifice some sleep to be with friends. <laughs> I think it's a good thing and I think it's important. I think a lot of things are hard to get motivated to start doing like it's easier to stay home but then you kind of the like payoff is that like oh this feels good I feel better after this this was fun and if it's not fun then you know maybe not the right friends but I think that a lot of things it just takes some like activation energy and you know what I was saying before is you're picking your kids up from school you're doing this like after school sports early we are shuffle and sometimes that leaves you kind of exhausted at the end of it but my husband and I not we haven't made like a you know conscious decision, but we both talked about this idea of like ha- people are happy when they have weekends that feel like mini vacations. Mm-hmm. And so what that means to us is like we load our weekends up. Like last weekend, Friday night, we went out with friends. Saturday, we went to a Halloween party with our kids. My grandma came over Saturday. Sunday, I, I took the kids to church. We had friends over that afternoon to play, and then we went to dinner and went to see Frozen. Normally, we wouldn't like load up Sunday so much, um, but it feels good. And it, and it sometimes it feels like you know you're kind of starting the week off like whoa, we not a lot of downtime. But I like that. Like I like seeing people, and I think that all friendships need someone who's like a coordinator for things like that. And I think a lot of people want to do stuff. They just don't have ideas. So sometimes just throwing stuff out, like, do you want to get together for this or what time works for you for a walk? And that's the only way, you know, I think a lot of us live and die by our calendar. And I think the only way sometimes to see people is that unless you're seeing them at drop off and pick up in those like more structured ways to see people. Mm -hmm. I think that the United States in the last couple of years has really like grossly capitalized or commercialized self-care. And so this this once very simple, well, what should be rather uncomplicated act of self-care has become this like, oh, you need to spend money in order to get self-care. Or moms are told that a shower is self-care when that's really just like a basic yeah. human <laughs> thing that right. like, no, that's not self-care. That's just hygiene. Um, and so I just think that it's been like 
just bastardized essentially. Um, yeah. And I almost hate the term now, self-care, like, mm-hmm. because it just, it creates this thing in me that just like, I just don't like the way that we as a society, um, and not necessarily we as the three of us have really like commercialized it and made it this, this thing that I just don't really feel like it is. I think there's probably a better question to ask. I don't know what that question is, but I think I've talked with my friends a lot about like when you feel most balanced Mm -hmm. or, and maybe balance isn't even the right word, but it's like, I think everyone knows when things feel off kilter at home. Yes. When it feels like you're doing too much or, um, or, you know, you're not connecting with your spouse. And I feel like everyone has that. You have weeks where you're like, oh, we're just kind of ships passing in the night. And I think, you know, when it feels off balance and I think a better equation is like, what does, and it's not balance either, but what, like when you're feeling your best, what does that look like? Yes. Like what is a weekend where you're feeling your best, map it out. And then it's just trying to like replicate that. Yeah. Let's create some joy. Yeah. Like, yeah. That joy might be catching up on sleep because you slept like garbage the night before. Yeah. That yeah, joy yeah. Might be getting a cup of coffee with a girlfriend or it might be putting a puzzle together with your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I think this dovetails nicely into kind of the the next finding of the survey, which was essentially that household and family responsibilities fall more on moms than even at the height of COVID. That to me was shocking. Like when yeah. I when I read through that, I was like, holy cow, how is that even possible? Because yeah. I mean, during COVID, we were working and being teachers and being full-time caregivers, <laughs> and somehow it didn't go away after COVID. It just got worse. Tell us tell us about that. I think that for some families, they rearranged um, things to have life be more equitable, and I think for other people, that wasn't the case, and I think a lot of it comes down to um, return to work and perhaps, and also women stepping away from the workforce, that that's going to create an in, um, imbalance in the responsibilities in both like work and home. But yeah, we said 32% of uh, women report sharing responsibilities equal over their partner, which was down 2% over last year. So we're seeing less of these conversations happening. And um, what we know is the the way to make changes is just small increments of change. Just saying like, this is not working. I, I think that it was, you were saying it so eloquently before is when you, no conversation goes really well when you're like at your wit's end and then you're, you know, I need help around the house. That doesn't work well. I think it works well to sit down and say, these are the things that I'm working on and do for our household. These are the things that you're doing. Like I need some more help or our kids need to participate or we need to not do these things like this, you know, holiday cards, maybe they're nice in theory, but they take so much time. Maybe we don't do them. We don't have to, um, or figuring out who you outsource things to. But I feel like as your kids get are young and then they get older, like to the age our kids are. And I think even more so your life just keeps getting busier and you think that you were busy when they were toddlers and stuff, but it was more that you were time constricted due to sleeping schedules, but it's busier to navigate things. And I think you need to continually take things off each other's plates. And I think that parenting and co-parenting together, raising a family together, you need to 
constantly audit your time and what you're focusing on and what you're spending time on. And it's a lot, you know, it's like so boring and unsexy to do this, but you feel good when you've done it. Cause I think everyone feels good coming to the table, not being mad. That is like, every, you know, and you don't always do that. Sometimes you get to that level by being really mad at your partner or your kids or just mad in general. And you know that something needs to happen. But I think that those best conversations are checking in to say like, what's working? What's not working? Do we feel like this is like a good balance? Where do we need, you know, what is not being done? Does that matter? I think there's like a lot of things in our household that are not being done. I'm like, I don't think it really matters. I think we've not, we haven't done this for six months. Nothing's happened as a result. So we won't, we keep, won't keep doing this. Yeah, a constant theme in our podcast is we talk about this like couples vision board and how like mm-hmm. constant going back to the board and like reevaluating like where your where your actions and where if how that alignment looks towards those shared values and goals. And I think I think that that's probably a big piece of this is COVID. Everybody was just in sheer survival mode, and so we were all just doing what we did, and then things got back to normal. And so partners and workspaces went back to their normal, but the mothers were still panicking. (laughs) We're still, we're still trying to survive. And so then this unequal load um, just kind of organically happens. But I think that that really having those intentional conversations on what those look like and why, loading the dishwasher before we go to bed and running it makes the most sense for our family. It may not work for all, and it may not work for every family. Like other families have different goals and vision and whatnot, but it is our oldest responsibility to put the dishes away from the dishwasher when she gets home from school. If that dishwasher is not loaded and ran the night before, then she doesn't have a chore and we are at least a meal and a half behind that on dishes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we've joked about like, sometimes we get off kilter with the dishwasher and it yes. will like run during the day. And then it's just like, it throws out, it's such a little thing, but like it throws everything into a tizzy. But then yeah. also though, I will say this, what sometimes we've had days where the dishwasher runs right before dinner. And that's actually a little helpful because then you're setting the table and you're like, well, I'm just taking them out of the dishwasher. Right. So like one less step to... <laughs> Put them away. Yeah, the dishes and the laundry are just where we. The laundry is. I have four kids, and so like, if you miss any cycle, you're just fucked for a couple of days. Yeah. (laughs) But inevitably, nobody says anything until like they're getting dressed for school, and they're like, "Oh, BT Dubs, I don't have clean underwear or pants to wear today," and you're like, "Well." This is optimal timing. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me febreze something. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that you wore dirty underwear to school today. Please keep that information to yourself. <laughs> well, and I think too, it's interesting because we this idea of kind of going back to like what feels good for your household is kind of that constant conversation. And I mean, I know for us, like we, we just had a kind of like a big blow up about all of this, like this stuff. And we, you know, determined part of that conversation was, Hey, we can't do two sports per kid in a season. Like it's just, you know, even, 
even though it's, you know, it was fall and we were like, oh, they're just short five week seasons. This will be really easy. Like, you know, it's so much less of a commitment than our competitive teams in the spring. But the reality is it's still, you know, four or five hours a week that you had to dedicate to it. And it was too much. It was, and we, and we just said like, that's it. Like, you know, it might be fine for our kid. Our, our, kids didn't seem to care that they were doing, you know, that they had practiced two nights a week and, you know, Saturdays and Sundays of games. They were like, this is great. I'm fine. But my husband and I were not fine. Meanwhile, we're drowning. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, we're losing our minds. Caitlin, I think that's such a good point though. And I think that's where you have to look at things and say, this is not working for us. Like that is, it's too much driving places. And I feel like so many parents feel this way when it's like raining and sports get canceled. They're like, thank gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, remember that feeling. But I think like more is not more. And I think it's really hard as parents now to fight against this like more, 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 which is not necessarily more like money, even though you're spending money on sports, it's like more time. And everything seems fun. And it's funny because I think we all do this. Like, we do a lot more scheduling of fun stuff for our kids than we do for ourselves. Like, what oh, yeah. if you had two activities every week? Like, that would feel a lot for your household, I imagine, because I know that would be a lot for many of my friends' household. But for kids, you have no question about that. And then it's also just the stress that I think people know. You have two sports. Okay, now on Saturdays, we have to go from like, JR's game at 10 to Maggie's game at 1045. How are we going to be there? Oh, my husband's working that week. And you're like, that's not actually fun for me to spend time doing that. Like that's a lot. That's then making the weekend the same mental load of the week. But I think with one, you're like, this is manageable. We can do this. And then we've tried to do like, you got to be on a team with your friends because we can't, we got a car. We can't just be like, it can't be a one person show here. Yeah. That's so I've true. actually I've actually lost money to sports <laughs> when my husband was working and I'm like, oh cool. Uh I I can't be in these two places at once. So now I'm paying yeah. our babysitter to take one of my kids to the games. That's I'm out money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um all right. So we've got kind of two more and I want to make sure we leave some space too for kind of you know, like what does the conversation look like and how do we have this? So, yeah, you know, kind of the last two points were that mental health is obviously a really big key component, um, you know, and I think you see this play into like the prioritization of sleep. Like it felt like these two things kind of went hand in hand Yeah, where like you see more moms seeking therapy and feeling more depressed, more anxious, things like that. Um, it, was there anything kind of under that mental health umbrella that kind of like changed or was was new this year that we weren't seeing or we aren't having conversations around? I think we're happy to see that almost half of moms are seeking therapy, 46%, um, which has gone up from 43% last year. We view that as a real positive. We do that in the same way, you know, as like, getting physical exercise. It's important to stretch those, to use those muscles and get help, especially if you feel like you need it. Uh, Our survey also showed one in 10 kids are receiving mental health support. This is something that we started tracking, I believe last year, and we'll be interested to see how it changes Mm -hmm. over time. 
some of the questions that we asked in the survey, we're curious to see like as a trend basis, how is that going up? But there's no doubt that the conversation around mental health has increased rapidly from when we were growing up. Yeah. There's a real positive parts to that and some negative parts. I think that there's some negative parts of people then assigning diagnoses to themselves without a doctor assigning them. But by and large, I think it's helpful for people to not feel shame associated to things, to mental health diagnoses, and to be able to get the help that they need, and for kids to be able to get that as well. But mm-hmm. trends that we're tracking as motherly as our mom audience ages up is how are kids feeling about social media? How are our moms feeling about social media? How are uh, kids' anxieties level, depression, things like that? There's no doubt that kids have way more access to the news or to rapid information than, I don't know if it's fair to say than we did, because we also did, like, I think in many households growing up, we had newspapers and we had news TV on all the day. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that, not all the day, but I think that parents watch the evening yeah. news and kids saw things then, but, but kids have the ability to get information, let's say in a way that is not like Dan Rather on the evening news or a newspaper, which is not constant in your face. Mm-hmm. And that's scary for kids. I think we live in a scary world for kids with guns. I think that there are a lot of things that are really hard to figure out how to explain to kids and that's contributing to it. But we do view the stat about moms seeking therapy as a positive stat, even though it might sound negative, it's positive for people to be able to get that support. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I think too, you know, I felt like a big part of my own personal mental load is thinking about my kids' mental health. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. you know, it's you know, it's something that I think about for each one of them probably at least once a day is just, you know, like, okay, I see that you've got this going on. Like, how are you coping with it? How, yeah. you know, and, and it's not always something that I'm like talking to them about, but it's something that I'm like, okay, put that on my, my mental list to make sure that, you know, I pay attention to, you know, has, has my son's stress over getting homework for the first time yeah. and having to learn how to use a planner. Is that going up? Is it going down? You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's something that, again, I don't know that our parents necessarily had, as much, I don't know if it was on their radar as much, you know, I feel like there was a lot more of kind of that live and let live philosophy, whereas now we're like inundated with opinions as parents, but then also I think we're just more aware of like how our kids are developing emotionally. I think it's just more consistent monitoring too than like our parents. Like I know that my parents would check in on me as far as like a mental health standpoint, but I feel like it is far more constant in this generation of mother Mm -hmm. where we're looking for trend lines and patterns and stuff like that, where I think our parents were like, how you doing? Good? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. (laughs) High five. (laughs) Same time next year. And there's some degree that's like healthy about that. I think we've been like dealing with some things at our kid's school and are trying to like soft ask questions about it because you don't want to leave the witness. Right. But then sometimes you're like, you know what? They don't seem bothered by it. Like, leave it. And also as a kid, that sometimes there are things that happen that don't really bother you. And I think that you know when your parents are, like, fishing for things. But there is some degree of, like, there's always going to be discomfort Mm -hmm. and anxiousness of being a child, right? Because as a child, you don't have all of the information. And I think that, like, 
there's going to be things that don't feel good at school and there are going to be kids that are not that nice or maybe you're the kid that's not that nice. All of those things have always existed. And I think that like they're okay for kids to exist within that space. Like yes, they, sure. that, that is okay for them to exist. And we don't need to know every bit about their world at school, just like our parents didn't know every bit about our world. You know, you do drop them off and they're gone for a lot of hours and you get home and they say very little typically. And I think <laughs> you, you typically, when you hear about things, are negative things. And I think that is kind of, so then you tend to ask some negative things. Parents aren't gossiping at the playground about like the real act of kindness that happened at school or the real generosity <laughs> of the teachers. They're at, they're talking about like bad behavior. And I think that when we, fo- I know this for myself, when we focus on that stuff, then that's what we focus on. Like we're not paying attention to like, oh, this might sound bad, but the kids are actually fine. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. And then the last finding was that eight out of 10 mothers worry about a recession and are making cuts. Um, What were the kind of takeaways under that umbrella? So we asked a lot more questions about um, financial wellness, well-being, and how people were thinking about this. Because when we ran the survey, so we usually ask the questions at the end of February, we spend some time tabling and cleaning the data, and then we launch it um, around uh, in conjunction in time with Mother's Day. And all of the information at that point was reporting a recession at the end of the year. That has not happened yet. Um, I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to predict when one will happen and if one will happen. But there's no doubt that the cost of living has gone up exponentially. The cost of groceries has gone up. Childcare has gone up. Interest rates have gone up. Um, buying a house has become less and less attainable for so many people. And so what we always find when we've asked moms what they're coming back on is the number one thing is usually themselves. Um, kids' activities are really far down on that list, that they're willing to to sacrifice things for themselves and not for their kids. And I think some of that ties back to the self-care part. And some of it is you're an adult. You make the money. You're able to decide what you're spending the money on, and it's easier for you to sacrifice on things, and perhaps the costs are the same. But there's a part of me that always feels like, you know, you are the one who's making the money. So shouldn't you be the first person to get to spend that money and make the decisions about them? Um, But it's typically, you don't have to explain to yourself why you're not doing something. You have to explain that to your kids and that can be a harder equation. But time and time again, we do see that mothers are more willing to put their kids' needs before themselves, especially when it comes to financial decisions. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel that as as kids, you know, you start adding more and more kids into the mix of like stuff and things that could get done and you're just like, oh, we've got we've to talk about how we're going to afford another sports team if we're doing another yeah. sports team because, yeah. you know, that costs a small fortune these days. And, you know, and I think just kind of having that uncertainty around – hey, I feel like the economic squeeze of these things changing and then you're telling me it's going to get worse. And yeah. so how do I how do I weather that or how am I preparing for it? Yeah, food is definitely our biggest like blah expense right now. Um, and we just um, – we just got our half cow. You can tell we're from the Midwest because we buy cows oh, yeah, by parts. Um, and so that was like a giant expense while it saves us money over the long run, yeah. just adding that like one little, like 
I say little, that 2000. One enormous. Yeah. 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 Um, is just like, like, it feels a lot harder writing that $2,000 check this year than it did two or three years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad we haven't had to upgrade to a half cow yet. We're still only at a quarter. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. That's so cute. <laughs> because if we do, then we also have to buy another freezer. Are you from the Midwest if you don't have freezers in your basement with cows? No, I'm not from the Midwest. But my husband's from Nebraska, which I think oh, both of you are too. So yeah. I'm familiar with that world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We have two freezers. But like, I mean, I've started d- – doing things that like I normally that seem like very little and they are very like small, small, like impactful, like instead of buying the pack of Hawaiian bread rolls, like I'll make my own quick rise bread because it saves money. And it's, it feels very, very small, but maybe it's, you got to cut costs somewhere. I I mean, mean, it's like, you got to just be like, girl, like that cost comparing, you save yourself 30 cents on cottage. Yeah, I know. But sometimes like, I don't know, sometimes it feels, it feels good to do something like that. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of, as we think about all of these kind of key markers that really indicate like, here is the state of motherhood today in 2023, how how does motherly kind of frame up the conversation or like, what do you think, what is the impact the survey can have at a household level? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's always something, you know, we talk about these macro issues all the time. And I feel like the hardest part of this conversation is articulating it and then like making that change at the household level. And like yeah. how, how does it play out either in your own household or like anecdotally, like what do you guys see as an organization? I think that's a great question. Um, We hope that people use this data to go to their spouse and to say, this is not working or this is working. I'm really happy with the setup we have. This feels good for me. It's not all negative, um, but we want people to continue to have these conversations. You gave me a, a good idea of like actually, asking people, asking our motherly audience to say, what are the hacks that you've used? I, I talk about this with my friends all of the time is what are the things that you do? My husband, like my favorite thing that he did is, so our kids go to Boston public schools. Boston public school has, has free universal uh, breakfast and lunch for all kids. Um, you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> and I when our daughter started at um, like K1, which is like pre-K, I was like getting ready to pack her lunch. And he was like, what are you doing? I said, well, like making her lunch. Like my mom made my lunch every single day. And he was like, no, it's, it's free breakfast and lunch. That's what our kids are getting. And I was like, well, you know, there's like I think you have as a mom sometimes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. they think moms would be better parents if they were parented like dads which was like not emotional about things like mm-hmm. making school lunch to me felt like, like a lovely thing I was doing for my child. And that every day that I never have to do that is so nice. Like when we have summer camp and you have to make lunch, I'm like, Oh, this is the worst. I hate making lunch and everything has different rules and stuff. But I think that is actually like letting, not letting things fall by the wayside, Like the kids have lunch and that's great. And they, there's no complaints about it in our house. Um, but I think it's figuring out what those things are that like work for your household and just saying like, you're not going to do certain things and not, you don't have to do everything together as a family. You don't have to like, you can kind of change these ideas. I think so often our ideas about parenting 
our how we were raised and that was one framework of parenting 30 or 40 years ago that doesn't necessarily apply within the world that we live in now and so I think like continually if I would give anyone advice it's like talk to your friends see what's working for them see like what has helped their household I think that many conversations end up going this way when women get together but is like being really honest about those things. My husband and I are maniacal calendars that like everything is on the calendar. So there would never be a situation where my husband would say, I don't know where the kids are supposed to go. Like that would never happen in our household ever. Everything is on the calendar. And I think as a result, that makes both people in a partnership or a marriage feel empowered. No one's like guessing there. And there's no texting like, where is the birthday party? It's in the calendar. It's like in the calendar invite that that's where it is. And that I think helps people feel empowered. And I think it also helps to divide things like the things that are in my head are a multitude of things for our household, but are more like things we have to do. But once we kind of get them done, then we go through the calendar. And then every week we go through the calendar because every week kind of looks different for our household. Um, We go through the calendar. We figure out what that week's going to look like. Mm. I think that's a really um, – I have I have thought about this idea of like a, a family meeting type scenario, you know, yeah. like – and I've read this suggestion and um, I don't know. Maybe we just need to find a way that it – everybody gets bought into it in our household. But I – you know, it'd be great to show up to like a – a weekend, either going into the weekend or coming out of to say like, okay, well, what is – what is on the radar? Because I feel like that is kind of, at least for our household, that is like the biggest struggle for me. When I when I am the sole keeper of, don't forget, we've got this practice and so we've got to leave at this time and like we're not going to be able to do dinner at home, so we're going to have to do it there. You know, like that is – I mean, that is the mental load, right? That's where we yeah. start to like – things start to kind of go off the tracks and you're like, well – this. We've tried to do something like that um, and not even organized, but just saying like, okay, this week, dad's working late these nights, mom's going away. That's what this is going to look like. We're going out to dinner this night because I also think it helps kids to understand like this is what the week looks like, that they can then to say like Friday night movie night, mom and dad are not going to be there. We're going out to eat. You get to do this. Um, and I think we all feel better when we have like a little bit more information about things. And I mm-hmm. think it but then it also helps kids to say, like, dad's doing pickup this day. Then we have to go right to this activity to get flu shots. And so we're going to need to leave right away. And I think just telling kids that those things in advance, I feel like, helps them a lot. And then also helps to say, like, how do you think this should work? Whether or not you factor that in. But I think it is helpful. Sometimes they can say, like, well, maybe I'll skip this party or something like that. I hadn't even thought of like including our kids in that conversation and being like, hey. Oh, is Gunner barking? I was going to say, I have included my kids in the conversation. And my little Charlotte, she's my oldest, and she is your very typical firstborn daughter. Like, doesn't want to break any rules, very like engaged. Um, but she loves a good calendar, which I'm like, girl love that for you and so she has this giant marker board in her room and on the at the beginning of every month I go through the family I sit next to her with my family calendar and she writes down even her sister's practices so on (sighs) dance or so on Thursdays Caroline has dance at five and 
we go through and we talk about like when my sister's going to be in town from work. So that way, or, so that way Charlotte knows like, oh, Josh and TT are probably going to come over this week for supper. And I, I think it is a little bit personality based too. Cause Caitlin, you know, Charlotte, that's that like tracks right. Charlotte hard. Fiona or Caroline, they would have nothing to do with it. And they would. Yeah. I mean, my prediction is crazy. that she's the only one of your kids who's ever going to do that. The rest of them are just going to. I mean, Warren still. We'll see. <laughs> do, do we see the honey badger doing more? I don't know about that. <laughs> so, but yes, I do think I, I yeah. do like having those conversations with the kids and just kind of giving them like an overview of what this week looks like. And so if you ask me to have a slumber party, you already know the answer is no. Mm. Well, and I think – I think too, it gives kids sort of this, you know, when we talk about kind of breaking this generational cycle of the women being the only ones in the household who know what's going on. I love this. I like the more we talk about it, the more I love the idea of like including the kids in this because Mm -hmm. then it gives, you know, like for me, my oldest is our son for me to be able to say like, okay, you know, we've got practice on these nights. You know, we've got to talk about how you organize your homework self. And we also have to talk about that means that, you know, like on this night, you don't need to ask me 15 times if we can go over to the neighbor's house and play because you know, you can look at the Mm -hmm. calendar and it kind of, it gives them this sense of like, okay, I can prepare myself and I can also learn to kind of anticipate what might be needed from me in order to like do this well. And actually, you know, I think they're actually very capable of it. I actually, you know, as I'm thinking about it, every Sunday night, I we write down like, here's what your specials are for the week. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything yeah. special going on. And my kids don't ever even have to ask me, do I have PE today? What shoes do I need to wear? Like they just, they know. They look at the thing on the, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in love with this suggestion. You just had a light bulb. <laughs> I did. We're going to have so many family meetings and everyone's going to love it. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, we could go on, I think, forever in terms of, you know, what this conversation is. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's been great to kind of understand. And like I said, at the top of the episode to feel really kind of validated. And like, there is this kind of sense of community that it is not just you alone in this situation. It is literally mothers everywhere. Um, Kate, is there a place where listeners can connect with you, can connect with motherly? What does that look like? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, And then a motherly at all places at motherly Instagram is where we're most uh, known. Facebook, we're growing on TikTok as well. LinkedIn, all of those places. There's a motherly podcast to listen to. So uh, you'll be able to find us easily. Yes. I love, I love my little texts and things for motherly. So Mm -hmm. good. One of my favorites. Well, thank you for being here today. We certainly appreciate it. Um, If you're listening to this episode and it resonates with you, share it with a friend, with a partner, um, rate review. That helps others like you find us and bring light to this very important conversation. So thank you, ladies. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.